private equity, hedge funds, pension funds, REITs, foreign investors, actually foreign investors has a slight pullback, but everything else has a large margin of more demand through 2021. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners, and welcome to another edition of the Actively Passive Investing Show. As always, I am your co-host, along with Travis Watts. Travis, how are you doing today? Theo, doing great. Thrilled to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining me as always. And we're going to talk about markets today. So we're going to talk about, as you can see by the title, we're going to talk about a blog post that we wrote called the top 10 markets to buy multifamily in in 2021. And if you're watching this on YouTube, we've got Vanna White over there giving us a presentation of (laughs) the beautiful map, the infographic we have that highlights those top 10 markets And so this is going to be based off of a PWC, an Urban Land Institute report. We'll have a link to that in the blog post we're referencing and also in the show notes of this episode. And we're going to highlight some of the other takeaways 
from this report today. So before we dive into that, Travis, do you have anything else you want to say about why what we're going to talk about is relevant to someone who's a passive investor? Yeah, I think this topic is relevant to active and passive investors. It is titled Top 10 Multifamily Markets, but real estate markets are real estate markets, right? No matter what asset type you're in or whether you're active or passive, it all goes hand in hand. And as we talked about a couple episodes ago, a lot of these episodes that we do, especially this year in 2021, come from questions that I get asked frequently by investors when I'm on calls week after week as part of my investor relations role. Which markets should I be looking at? Which reports are good? Which ones are bad? That's why we're showing you guys this is it's a very popular and common topic that I think everyone can benefit from. Yeah. So in that blog post, and if you're watching this on YouTube, which we highly recommend, Travis has a image behind him that shows the top 10 markets. So we're not necessarily going to list those out today in full. As I mentioned, this is a very long report. We're going to go into some of the takeaways from this report. And obviously, this is being a show focused on passive investing. We're going to talk about why each of these takeaways are relevant to you as a passive investor. So Travis is going to start off by talking about some of the issues that were highlighted in this report. Yeah. And one thing before I get rolling here, as you pointed out, Theo, this is like a hundred page report. Again, uh, big PW, one. the Urban Land Institute, it's kind of a combination of the two very, very much in depth and detail. So, I mean, we could literally talk for hours on this report. We're just going to skim it, hit some high level topics some things to think about. Check out the blog post because there's a link to the actual PDF that I'm referencing. And I'll point out what pages I'm on too, if you want to kind of follow along, if that blog post is something that you want to take a look at. Mm -hmm. So to your point, let's get started. So what these are, are the issues that could potentially arise this year and then how much importance is weighted on those particular issues. So I'm on page four and five of this report, and I'll just kind of start from the top. Not going to go over all of them. There's 10 in every category. But as far as economic and financial issues that could potentially have an impact on multifamily and real estate in general, at the very top is job and income growth. As we all know, we're in the midst of COVID. Everyone's concern is jobs and unemployment. And as you get into these deals as an investor, and you're looking at these projections of, we're going to be raising rents $200 a door per month over a few years. Well, it's really dependent on your renters and the fact that they have a job, number one, and then number two, that their income can support those rent hikes. So you're trying to kind of read between the lines and we need an economy that's stabilized to support that. It's a one to five scale if you're not following along on the chart. So they rank that as number five, meaning the most important. And I'll scale quickly to the bottom. They've got inflation and currency strength as still very important in the top 10, but the least of the top 10 of importance. There's a lot of talk with all this money printing that we're doing with the Fed coming out with this proposed $2 trillion stimulus package, possibly around the corner. My gosh, it's crazy. <laughs> so you'll see a lot of headlines about inflation and are we going to see it? And is it going to go into hyperinflation or are we going to collapse the value of the US dollar? I personally would rank those a little higher on the list myself. That's a concern to me, but they've got them there at the bottom. So take it as you will. Those are the economic and financial potential issues. Moving on to social and political 
at the top of the list of most importance. They've got epidemics and pandemics in a category, obviously in the midst mm. of COVID, that makes a lot of sense. That's still a concern of most people, especially this year. Political landscape, as Theo and I pointed out several episodes ago on the proposed Biden tax plan, if you haven't checked out that episode, I would. It's getting more outdated by the day, so stay up with the news. But the political landscape, we just had the inauguration, but now what Biden's essentially proposed is to repeal the Trump tax reform that was set forth in 2017, which was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. And it's not a political statement, whether you're pro-Biden-Trump. It's just that that particular policy was really to the advantage of real estate investors. So if that gets repealed, that's obviously of utmost importance. At the bottom of this list on social and political is terrorism and rising education costs. So obviously terrorism is hard to predict and determine. That's kind of an unknown factor that's always there. And then rising education costs, yeah, obviously of importance, but may not affect the majority of our tenants and our renters. So it's up there, but at the bottom of the list. Mm -hmm. Last but not least, real estate and development. This is more about new construction and multifamily. The top two being the labor costs and the cost of materials being of utmost importance. At the bottom of the list being risk of extreme weather, which is global warming and climate change and things like this, and environmental sustainability requirements. A lot of talk about this new green deal and everyone's going solar and electric cars. Well, what if some policies come forth that say all multifamily units have to be solar by 2030, you know, something crazy like that could happen, perhaps unlikely, but who knows? So that's why it's at the bottom of the list, but it could happen as we go into this new change of hands here under the Biden administration. So I'll cut it there. Take a look on page four and five of the report, if you have it. There's a lot more detail. I just highlighted and skimmed that. But those are some of the issues that could potentially have factors here in 2021. And a key thing to keep in mind here is that these are based off of surveys of people who are real estate investors. So they're asking them, how do they think these things are going to affect real estate in particular? So these aren't what they think high level, just specifically to real estate, right? Yeah. And these are based off of surveys. So yeah, all of these different things we're going to be talking about, you can see how these active real estate professionals are applied to so their people who are actually doing it and what they think is going to happen based off of their experience and their research. The next thing that we're going to talk about is going to be the statistics for working from home. So don't need to spend much time here. It's pretty obvious that a lot more people are working from home now. So the question is, as it relates to real estate, is this going to continue or is this going to end? And when it does end, is it going to go back to normal or are more people going to work from home? And so the question that was asked was, in the future, more companies will choose to allow employees to work remotely at least part of the time. Do you agree, strongly agree, disagree? So the majority of people strongly agreed and then another 42% agreed. So basically every single person either agrees or strongly agrees that this trend of working for home is going to continue in the future. So as a passive investor, that's obviously going to impact the locations where multifamily is going to be in demand, which I'll talk about in just a second, but also the type of multifamily that's going to be in demand. If people are working from home more, they're going to want a different type of experience than if they're not working from home. 
So we actually have a blog post on our website about the top amenities for multifamily for 2020 or 2021. As it relates to COVID, we kind of go through, okay, if people continue to work from home, what types of things are going to be in demand? What size of units, what types of opportunities in the units, what type of amenities at the property are going to be in demand? So definitely check that out. And then Obviously, the second thing is going to be the locations that are in demand, right? So U-Haul has a really good report. You mentioned a blog post that posted, it'll be live when this goes live. It's called 10 States with the Most Net Migration in 2020. So U-Haul tracks all their one-way trips to see where people are renting vehicles and going one way with the assumption that they did it to move that location. So they rank the markets with the greatest positive net migration and then the markets that have the most people leaving them. So the South in general, right? There's obviously exceptions, but the South in general are full of in-migration markets. You've got Texas, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas, Tennessee, and then you've also got some of the mountain areas. So Idaho, Utah, and Arizona, whereas you've got the coasts, specifically the West Coast is in general, as well as the Northeast, people are moving out of those places. So this report is just based off of the states. But in addition to this, you got to keep in mind that within each of these states, does it mean that every single investment you see in Florida and Texas is going to be great? Or every single market in Texas and Florida is going to be great? Again, because of this move, which Travis is going to talk about here in a second, there has been a large movement out of the large urban areas to suburban and even rural areas, which is kind of what Travis is going to talk about next, so natural transition. Yeah. That's a great point, Theo. Actually, I probably should have brought that up at the beginning of this. Just because we're showing you this map, just because PwC and the Urban Land Institute have come out with this data and this particular survey, there's going to be differing opinions, whether you tune into CBRE, Marcus and Millichap, CoStar, there's different data sources out there. There's different economists, there's different opinions. Just because you live in Ada, Oklahoma, doesn't mean you shouldn't do a deal there. If your neighbor's short selling their home or there's a foreclosure in your town, maybe that's a good opportunity for you. So it's not to suggest these are the only markets to look at. And again, it's titled top 10 multifamily markets, but it's just real estate in general, right? And we're really talking about migration trends, which is what we talk about a lot on this show. So to your point, Theo, my topic here is the age migration and what's happening. I thought this was really interesting. I'm on page 10 of the report. Anybody following along? And what they're looking at is the forecast from 2020 to 2030. So they're looking at a full decade of all different age groups and what's likely going to happen as a progression here. So start out with folks in their 20s. This demographic is shrinking in size, number one. And these groups tend to live a more urban lifestyle. So obviously your studios, your one bedrooms, your downtown stuff, the city life. Keep in mind, as they point out, this is a shrinking group. So urban will be shrinking, basically is what they're saying. So groups in the family formation years, maybe your latter half of the millennials, folks in their 30s, and maybe up to age 40. I don't know exactly where the cutoff is there. But these groups are tending to look for a more suburban lifestyle. And this is a growing group. So this is going to be a big migration here that's happening to support the suburban lifestyle. The next one over is empty nesters. So parents where their their kids have gone off to school and kind of moved on in a sense from the house. They're actually, this was a surprise to me, looking at going more urban. But again, this is a group that is shrinking in size. So it's not going to be a huge migration here. 
But that one kind of surprised me that empty nesters are looking for a more urban setting and lifestyle. And last but not least, as we all know, the retirement age groups are going to surge. We all know about the silver tsunami. I hope that's not offensive to anybody. (laughs) But they're looking for more of the suburban lifestyle, which kind of surprises me in a sense. But yet I really think about reality and folks in my family and just my own parents. And that's true. They really like the suburban lifestyle, at least in my bubble of the world. So I guess overall in general, to your point, Theo, it's looking like suburban is likely going to take a win here for the next 10 years as far as the forecast goes, as far as this source of data suggests, and the urban perhaps could be shrinking in popularity. So that's that on page 10 of the report. Yeah, and this is definitely tied to the working from home statistics too, right? Because most of the people that live in the city live there because it's so hard to get to work. For example, my wife works in a big company and a lot of the people that live in the city have moved out to their parents or moved back home out of the country because they don't need to be downtown. And so if you don't need to be downtown, it's cheaper to live further out in the suburbs. It's cheaper, it's safer, you get more space. So all these things are definitely connected. I remember reading an article right when COVID started about how many people left New York City for the suburbs and also places like Connecticut and stuff. And it was a crazy amount of people. In addition to people have been leaving these urban areas for a while now. And so it kind of only been expedited. So again, the point here is that if you're looking at deals in these large urban areas, take a look at what the explanation is for why they're doing it. Are they getting a really, really good deal? Or are they claiming that making predictions about, oh, well, this is not going to last forever. Eventually it'll come back. Sure. Maybe that's the case, but Again, there's additional risk when it comes to that. So the next thing, which I think is really fascinating, is going to be about the debt and equity underwriting standard. So as a passive investor, most likely you're not going to have a highly custom multi-tabbed Excel underwriting calculator where you pull the P&Ls and you make all these predictions yourself to under the deal, right? You're going to be relying a lot on the information that's provided by the sponsor who did their own underwriting. Now, obviously it's important to trust that person, We've talked about that before, how to qualify the GP, but another really good way to gauge how aggressive or conservative their underwriting is, is how banks and then these large equity firms are also underwriting deals. So when we talk about debt, we're talking about Fannie and Freddie Mac, their traditional ENC banks, commercial banks, insurance companies, debt funds, things like that. And we come to equity, we're talking about obviously private investors, but these big public equity REITs hedge funds, private REITs, pension funds, things like that. So how are they underwriting deals right now compared to previous years? It's actually a huge difference. (laughs) So this is 2021 data. And they asked them, so for debt and equity, how do you expect the underwriting standards to be? And the options were less rigorous or remain the same as the previous year or more rigorous. And so historically, since 2014, basically most people said it would remain the same especially from 2017 and on. A very small percentage of people said that it would be less rigorous or more rigorous, but bring it to 2021 and 73% of the respondents think that the debt underwriting standards are going to get more rigorous. And the previous high was 47% in 2017. And then last year it was 34%. So double basically. (laughs) And then the same trend for equity, 67% said that the underwriting standards are going to be more rigorous. Again, the previous high was in 2017 at 34%. I'm assuming that's because that was after the election, but still double (laughs) what it has been every year since 2014 with this graph end. So if you're coming across deals 
that are underwriting the exact same as they did in the past few years, then that's something to think about. That is definitely a red flag. And Travis kind of already mentioned this, the rent growth assumptions. We're talking about just the revenue growth assumptions in general, maybe how quickly they're going to accomplish these value-added renovations or renovations they're doing. Essentially, anything that's changing from how it's currently being operated to how it's going to be operated after them should be very conservative and not be super aggressive. Yep, 100%. This next section really piggybacks off of that, which is great. This is the one I was actually most excited to share with folks because I would say probably, let me put it in the top three category of questions that I get asked by investors Mm -hmm. is always, is it the right time to start investing in multifamily or continue investing in multifamily? Something to this nature. So I think this kind of sums it up. And this is a great graph I'm going to be sharing with people because it's just great data to have as far as the survey goes. So what this is, is the availability of capital for real estate 2020 versus 2021. So there's two categories. There's lending. So getting financing for your deals. And then there's the equity, which is people wanting to to buy and own equity in this real estate. So on the lending, to your point, Theo, about more rigorous underwriting and lending, So naturally, there's a slight pullback. It's not a major shift, but there is a slight negative impact on lending from non-bank financial institutions, government-sponsored enterprises, debt funds, insurance companies, REITs, banks, collateralized mortgage-backed securities, all that good stuff has a slight pullback. So a little more conservative approach. But this is the part that really paints the picture. There's a massive increase in demand from publicly traded REITs, from private local investors like myself, private equity, hedge funds, pension funds, REITs, foreign investors, actually foreign investors has a slight pullback, but everything else has a large margin of more demand through 2021. And I think that really says a lot. And here's my final thoughts on this as a conclusion to wrap that up. I've talked about this before, maybe on this show, maybe on other podcasts, but right now there is a huge demand for yield. We're not finding yield, cash flow and interest and dividends in bonds and CDs and money markets and treasuries. So both Main Street investors and Wall Street are needing and wanting yield. And the biggest margin here is REITs. That are increasing exposure here, obviously real estate investment trust, right? But this is huge. I hear this all the time about, well, what do you think about cap rates? Or I don't know about buying something out in Texas at a five cap. That seems crazy. Well, think about it like this. If an institution's coming in to buy that asset and they're going to pay all cash, they're not even going to use lending or debt. They're still getting about a five cap, a 5% yield off that property. Well, how much risk are they really taking with no debt and no leverage compared to bonds and other things that are paying 2% or 1%. Mm. So that's still a very healthy yield for an institution to have by using no leverage and no debt. So I still think if you're in the space, this is again, part of my personal criteria that I'll share, but I like investing as a limited partner in these syndications in the unit size of 200 to 600 units. To me, that's kind of a good sweet spot because as we go to exit, we're often going to exit to institutional capital who's needing this type of yield. We could also sell to another syndication group. We could also sell to wealthy individuals, family office, 
stuff like that. But it gives us a lot of exit potential strategies to use. So at the end of the day, I think the demand is for yield. And I think that people have seen through this pandemic, the B and C class value add product has really held up. Yes, it's been impacted. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it, but it's not been to the effect of office, retail, other asset types in real estate. So that's my final thoughts on it. And I know we're getting short on time. Yeah, we have to have had the best ever conference coming up in about a month. And the first webinar they did, I think it was something along the lines of like, should you buy or should you shell in 2021? And one of the speakers was a tax expert. And as we mentioned before about the impacts of the new tax plan, I kind of really like what you said. And it kind of goes along the line of what you're talking about. It's like, look, if it's sort of ta- change to like the taxes, sure, it might impact other industries more than other, but it's going to be an across the board thing, right? It's going to affect everything more or less equally. Same thing with the pandemic or any kind of time in the economy, it's going to affect things more or less equally. And so when you're thinking about whether to invest or not, or what to invest in, you can't really compare it to the yields that you were getting five years ago, or all these massive IRRs and cash and cash returns. It's more of like, what are your options right now? What's your best option in investing right now? You have to do something with your money. So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to keep it in your savings account? Or are you going to invest it in something? And if you're invested in something, what are you going to invest it in that has the least risk with the highest return, whichever is more important to you? So that's why all of these equity sources are so interested in real estate. It's not necessarily because they're going to make the most money they've ever made before. It's because this is the best option right now. So that's what I thought about, which I was there talking about yield. It's not the best yield ever, but it's the best yield of the options right now. Yep, 100%. Times change. Before the 2008-2009 collapse, you could have bought U.S. bonds at 6%, relatively taking no risk. So that would be a hell of an option today <laughs> if you could. Exactly. But instead, you're getting half a percent or something at 1%. So to your point, you got to go with the current environment. And a lot of folks hang on to the old ideals of things. And where that phrase was hot in multifamily of double your money in five years, well, Perhaps it's still possible in some aspects, but maybe don't count on that in today's environment. But yes, it's put a lot of pressure, this low yield environment we're in with interest rates and everything else, put a lot of pressure on the stock market, which is why we've seen these huge, crazy rallies in the midst of a pandemic. And then also onto real estate. So it's just, like you said, you got to make the choice for you. Where are you going to park your money? Clip a 0% coupon in the bank or go into some kind of asset with a moderate yield? Exactly. All right, Travis. Well, thanks again for joining us. I really enjoy these conversations and getting your perspective on these things. I know you're deep in the trenches every day looking at this information. And best of listeners, as always, we appreciate you for tuning in. As we mentioned in the beginning, this is going to be based off of the blog post called Top 10 Markets to Buy Multifamily in 2020. So we'll check that out to actually get the top 10 markets. We also have the link to this 100 plus page report. But if you just want to read the report yourself, we'll have that in the show notes as well. So again, thank you for joining me, Travis. Best ever listeners, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Theo. Thanks, everybody. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Looking for your next family vacation spot? Park Square Homes is teaming up with Amina's Mortgage Services to provide a turnkey experience for new vacation rental homes 
just 20 minutes from Disney World. For more info, contact Amina's Mortgage Services, and you can go to their website at aminas-ms.ca. That's aminas-ms.ca.